We're continuing our verse-by-verse study through the book of Romans, and today we come to the end of this major section um, that speaks of the condemnation and the result of our sin. Earlier, Pastor Rick read this passage for us, but I want to read it again uh, just to launch us out, and then I've got some thoughts to share with you from Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 20. So read along with me. Romans 3, starting in verse 9. What then? Are, are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin." So here's what we're going to do the next few moments. I'm going to to ask a question, work to answer the question, and then I've got three realities of sin that we'll work through, okay? So first, here's the question. What does none is righteous mean? What does none is righteous mean? Because that's what we find right there in, in verse 10. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Now, if you read that, you're going to see some pretty firm absolutes there, right? Words like none, um, not one, no one, all, together. Um, What does it mean that all have turned aside? I had a college professor who drilled into us in our, um, I think it was our biblical interpretations class, if I remember correctly, but he had the statement, he said, all means all, and that's all all means, And he said that thing probably 200 times. And you think I'm exaggerating, but I'm not at all. All means all, and that's all all means. So when it says there, all have turned aside, it means everybody. Now, in several weeks, it's going to be a while, actually, before we get to Romans chapter 5. But Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says this. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, who was that one man? Adam, right? Through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. We were all born sinners. Sin entered into the world through Adam um, and death through sin, so death spread to everybody because everybody sinned. Next week, we're going to look at Romans, no, two weeks from today. We're going to look at Romans chapter 3, verse 23 that says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But what does this death through sin look like? What does it look like? And for this, I want you to take your Bibles and go over to Ephesians chapter 2, okay? Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to look at what this death through sin from Paul's teaching looks like. And and this is another time that Paul's teaching in Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to look specifically at verses 1 through 3. So Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Paul says, and you were dead. By the way, he's talking to Christians here, okay? And you were dead. In the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, 
following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So this is what it means to be dead through sin. Paul's not talking about a person who's kind of okay, or they have one foot in heaven and one foot outside of heaven. Dead means no spiritual life whatsoever. And in this, I think about John 3.16. In the middle of John 3.16, there's that, that word perish, right? The word perish. Should not perish, but have everlasting life. To perish means to eternally, spiritually die. You're going to, your, your physical body is going to die one day, um, unless Jesus comes back and carries us home before that. But if you are without Christ, you will perish meaning that you will have eternal death. And it's not even like this is a ship that's sinking and you're in the water and Jesus throws a lifeboat to you. You climb in the lifeboat and you're good. No, that's not what Paul's talking about at all. You see, this spiritual deadness means that you were face down in the water with no air inside of your lungs, no life in your body. And what happens is Jesus comes and he is the one that breathes new life into your dead spiritual body. It's the kind of death that he's talking about here. Why are we dead? Well, because of our trespasses and sins. You have transgressed against God. You followed the course of this world that runs away from God. You rejected God through your sin. You pursued even a satanic nature. You were by your very nature a child of the wrath of God. In other words, that was your inheritance. The wrath of God was your inheritance. There was no righteousness in you at all. That's what this none is righteous means. All of us were born into this category. Every single one of us. Go back to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. So if that's what none is righteous means, let's talk here for just a moment about three realities of sin that we find here, okay? Number one, there is a broken relationship with God. There is a broken relationship with God. Verse 9 says, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. Paul says, I have shown you. And for us, it started in chapter 1, verse 18, all the way through where we were at last week and even this week. I have shown you already that both Jews and non-Jews, is what Greeks means means there, Jews and non-Jews are under sin. Under sin means that you are born a sinner and you are condemned by your sin. The state of being under sin results in a broken relationship with God. Paul uses multiple passages uh, from the Old Testament to solidify the reality of being under sin. And that's what he's going to talk about here in the next several verses. In fact, in your Bible, when you look at this, you're going to see multiple lines, most likely, with, with different quotation marks outside of each one of these lines. And each one of those is a different passage from the Old Testament that Paul pulls from to write here in uh, Romans chapter 3. Okay, so multiple passages from the Old Testament that we're going to find right here. Verses 10 and 11 and verse 18 show us the broken relationship with God. So I'm going to read those here. It says, as it is written, starting in verse 10, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. Then you jump down to verse 18 of Romans chapter 3, and it says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. 
Everything in between those verses is in relation to humans and the brokenness of relationships there. We're going to get to that here in just a moment. Sin is first and foremost rebellion against God. Sin says that God and his holiness are unimportant. I can do what I want. I don't care about God. I don't care about what he has said. I don't care about his holiness. How many of you, when you know that somebody's coming over to your house, um, you don't really have enough time to clean everything up, you know you're going to be in a, one major room or maybe a couple of major rooms, so you take those two rooms and you clean them up and you throw everything else in the closet. If it if it's, even looks like a blanket or a pillow or a piece of trash that needs to be thrown away, whatever it is, you, you clean it all up. You make it look nice in those couple of rooms where you know people are coming over. Anybody? I'm, never mind, I won't ask that. Probably most of us in this room are somewhat guilty of that, right? <laughs> sin, and it doesn't matter if it's a sin of pride or the, the sin of lying or adultery. It doesn't matter the sin. It's the same idea that I'm going to throw God in the closet and live any way I want to live, and things may look good in part of my life, but God is still put away in the closet, Anything besides loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength is sin. God is more important than anything else in this life. And anything that replaces God is sin. And there is no one whatsoever who can get away with not confronting that reality in their life. Every person has got to decide who or what is going to rule their life. I genuinely hope this morning that you have come to grips with who or what is allowed to rule your life. And that you can honestly say that you are in a regular posture of surrender to Jesus alone. And I'm not saying that you're going to be perfect. In fact, as the hymn writer wrote, he said, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Yeah, the pull of this world sometimes does tug at my heart. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. But may our prayer be, but here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. May that be our heart. Secondly, sin results in broken relationships with people. So there's broken relationship with God, but there's also broken relationships with people. Humans were created to live in harmony with each other and with God. Uh, verses 12 through 17 show two different ways, though, that that is not happening. There's brokenness in words and there's brokenness in actions. We see the words in, um, in 13, verses 13 and 14, and we see the actions in verse 12 and verses 15 through 17. So let's look first at the words, verses 13 and 14. Once again, Paul's quoting old, the Old Testament scripture. He says, their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. One of the ways we see sin at work in our world is through the brokenness of relationships and what people have to say to each other and about each other. And what we find here, there's the word grave. Their throat is an open grave. There's the word venom, which is poison. There's curses. There's bitterness that come from the mouth. Ultimately, all of this is death, it is poison, it is nasty that comes from the mouth. What was the mouth meant to do? The mouth was meant to give life. Think about the very first words that were ever spoken 
that we have record of. It was God doing what? Speaking into existence everything that is. All life, all of creation was spoken into existence by God. That was his intention with the mouth. But sin has corrupted the mouth. Ideally, what comes out of the mouth is to be life-giving rather than tearing down. But most often we see that we tear down with our words. We also see actions. He quotes, uh, excuse me, he quotes passages of Scripture there about actions. Looking at verse 12 first. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. You say, well, wait a minute, but I do do good things sometimes. Yeah, you do, right? Holding the door for someone at the grocery store. You know, it didn't take anything super spiritual to do that. But what Paul's talking about here is the motive of the heart and the status of the heart. If your good actions come from a place of anything besides God being preeminent in your life, then your good action is not a good action. God must be preeminent in your life. He continues there in verse 15. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, verse 16. The way of peace they have not known. These are the results of sin that lead to broken relationships with other people. And this is what happens when humans fight to pursue whatever they want, no matter the effect that it has on other people. The only thing that is holding the world back from complete anarchy is the sovereign hand of God. He has raised up generation, excuse me, he's raised up governments and armies and police forces and other peacekeeping forces in our world to keep the world from descending into anarchy. Now, one day we know that in the tribulation, God is going to release that tight hold that he has on the reins. And what's going to happen is chaos will ensue. In the meantime, though, he is still on his throne and he is still holding complete evil back. But the effect of sin on the world is strong in both word and action. Human relationships are broken because of sin. Don't forget that sin is first and foremost a broken relationship with God that's got to be repaired. But then it's secondly, broken relationships with other people. Verses 19 and 20, look at those with me. They are transition verses. They're leading us to the next section here in Romans, okay? Here's what they say, starting verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Now, this is a summary statement, okay? Like I said, transitioning from where we've been to where we are going. First of all, in these verses, everybody is ultimately accountable to God. You cannot escape that. There is nothing you can do to escape that. Secondly, there is no good work that is good enough to justify us in the eyes of God. Something else is necessary for justification with God. This is where the third reality of sin comes in. Under sin does not mean hopelessly condemned. Under sin does not mean hopelessly condemned. And I want to go back to Ephesians chapter 2 here for just a moment. Go ahead and turn there because it's not going to be on the screen for you. I want you to read along in your Bibles. This reality of under sin does not mean hopelessly condemned is going to be seen as we continue studying the book of Romans, but it's summarized 
in Ephesians chapter 2 in a really, really simple way for us. Earlier, I only read the first three verses of of Ephesians chapter 2, where we find how serious our deadness in sin is. Let's pick up reading in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Earlier, Pastor Rick used an illustration to help us understand this idea of just how hopeless we are on our own apart from Christ. We couldn't do it on our own. Did you use the floor is lava illustration? Yeah. The floor is lava. But Jesus made a way for us to get to the Father. And we're at a turning point here in the book of of Romans. For weeks, we've looked verse by verse at the just condemnation that all mankind is under. Next, we're going to begin looking at justification and how we are justified to stand blameless before God on the day of judgment. Before justification can take place, though, a soul, a deep understanding of the true nature of sin has got to take place. You have got to come to grips with just how serious your sin is to God. I hope that you have done that. I hope that you are well aware of the appalling nature of your sin before God and how, such a, how it's such a stark contrast to the holiness of God. If you haven't, then today can be your day of salvation. And I'd love to talk with you about what that salvation looks like after our service here in a little while. I want to end our time in God's Word today, though, with a Puritan prayer. It was written maybe even a couple of hundred years ago. It's entitled, Need of Jesus. And you can read along with me on the screen. It says, Lord Jesus, I am blind. Be thou my light. Ignorant, be thou my wisdom. Self-willed, be thou my mind. Open my ear to grasp quickly thy spirit's voice and delightfully run after his beckoning hand. Melt my conscience so that no hardness remain. Make it alive to evil's slightest touch. When Satan approaches, may I flee to thy wounds and there cease to tremble at all alarms. Be my good shepherd to lead me into the green pastures of thy word and cause me to lie down beside the rivers of its comforts. Fill me with peace that no disquieting worldly gales may ruffle the calm surface of my soul. Thy cross was upraised to be my refuge. Thy blood streamed forth to wash me clean. Thy death occurred to give me a surety. Thy name is my property to save me. By thee all heaven is poured into my heart, but it is too narrow to comprehend thy love. I was a stranger 
an outcast, a slave, a rebel, but thy cross has brought me near, has softened my heart, has made me thy father's child, has admitted me to thy family, has made me joint heir with, them, with thyself. And then catch this last part. Oh, that I may love thee as thou lovest me, that I may walk worthy of thee, my Lord, that I may reflect the image of heaven's firstborn. That is my prayer for us as a church. That's my prayer for you as an individual, that we may reflect the image of heaven's firstborn. But we cannot do so until we truly understand the nature of our sin.